Ephesians chapter 5. And as we are going to Ephesians chapter 5, later on in this message, I'm going to invite any couple, couple, husband and wife, man and woman, These days, you need to be very, very clear. <laughs> Any couple who feels comfortable to join me on a platform as we begin to talk about our experiences about husband and wives. Amen? Any couple. Any couple. I can only take one couple at a time. Any couple. Just start thinking about that now. So at the right time, if you feel comfortable, you'll be welcome to join me on the platform as we start talking about our marriages. So this morning, I want to share on from striving to thriving in our marriages. From striving to thriving in our marriages. Amen? So let me just use as a text, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning from verse 28. It says, So husbands ought to love their own wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I cannot stop from laughing. I just saw Ida come in and he, she displaced Nasa from sitting next to her father. <laughs> Is there a message there? I, mean, I just want to make sure I, I get a message. Is there a memo here? Okay, praise God. It looks good. You look good, Ida. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> yeah, there's something about girls and fathers, you know. There's something about fathers and boys as well. Amen. Amen. Let's balance the equation. <laughs> okay. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Did you hear that? He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay. I, 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 now, let, let's just... Has, have you ever met any man that does not love themselves? I just want to make sure I'm speaking to the right audience here. Okay. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let's just stop right there. So from striving to thriving, that's what we want to look at. And right off the bat, I want to say to us there are two critical things that will help all of us in improving our marriages and moving away from just striving to live together to where we can be thriving as partners. Number one, let me just call it ignorance. And what do I mean by ignorance? There is a lot of confusion or ignorance where it pertains to the distinction or the difference between contracts and covenants. Many of us 
look at marriages or our marriages, we look at a marriage like it's a contract. And the truth of the matter is, marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. Now, why is this distinction important? It is important because in a contract, an agreement between the two parties, you list all the things that you are going to do and all the things you expect the other part to also do. And whenever there's a discrepancy, a violation, somebody does not do what they're supposed to do, what happens? The contract is broken. So a contract usually protects your rights and limits your responsibilities. I'm going to do one, two, three. I'm not going to do anything else. That's what a contract does. A covenant, on the other hand, you may not like to hear this, it increases your responsibility and limits your rights. Every premarital session should begin right there. Before you enter this I do business, you must understand that this is not a 50-50 preposition. I bring 50%, you bring 50%. We get 100. No. It's not 50-50. In a covenant relationship, it's 100-0. Okay. Let me let you wipe this sweat off your, off your, off your brows here. 100-0. And the best way to look at it, look at God and you. What do you do for God? Or what did you do for him to send Jesus? How much did you put in in order for God to be convinced? Oh, yeah, okay, bank, you've done your part, 25%. I'll do 75%. Nothing. The covenant of grace that you and I enjoy right now Cost you and I absolutely zero. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Because Bank Akimala prayed, no. Because Bank Akimala was a good man, no. Because Bank Akimala would be a great man, no. None of that. So God's covenant with us is always 100 to zero. He brings it all to the table, he says, here it is, enjoy it. It is from that mindset that you must approach the covenant of marriage. The man cannot be getting married and say, my goodness, um, man, my wife cooks very good food. My God, she cleans the houses very well. Look at her, look at her shape, blah, 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 on and on and on and on. And vice versa. Because everything you think you like is subject to change. It's subject to change. So that's number one, the ignorance between the distinction between covenant and contracts. Marriages are not contracts, they are covenants. Second, and just as important, is the issue of what I call nominalism. Nominalism, being nominal. Being nominal. What I'm seeing, not just in this congregation, but all over the world is a rise of a group of people who call themselves Christians 
but at best they are nominal. Nominal. Okay. Let me define that for us. My iPad just shut down. God bless Mr. Steve Jobs. Nominalism is where one's faith does not go beyond being identified with a church. So they say, oh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I go to Redeem Church. They say, oh, are you a Christian? Oh, I go to World Outreach. Are you a Christian? Oh, I go to Lateran. Your identification as a Christian is only limited to you being a part of a church. Or they say, well, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I sing on the choir. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm an usher. You've not answered the question. Nominal people are only Christians by name only. Christ has no bearing whatsoever in their lives. Their ID, that means identity, as a Christian is just a name only. It is only a label. Nominalism is dangerous and fraudulent. Why? Because it does not require a changed lifestyle. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Now, what are we, do we have so many nominal Christians here this morning that you guys are not answering me? <laughs> what I'm saying is to be a nominal believer, you've opted and chosen to live as you please and you do not place the demand upon yourself to live a changed lifestyle. Huge. And I'm saying this with authority because I've spoken to many, many, many couples. And usually, this, this particular case comes to mind. I'm talking to this couple, and I'm trying to tell them certain foundation that must be built in God to enjoy their marriage. And the lady said to me, Pastor, Pastor, I, I hear what you said, but please tell him what he needs to do. Tell him, tell him just, just tell him the, the mistakes he's made. T correct him, just correct him. In other words, she did not want to hear anything about foundation. That except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. She just wants us to fix the fig leaves. The low-hanging fruit is not clean in the house. It's not tiny shoe. Whatever the issue, she just wanted to go to the issue, but don't deal with what caused the issues. Amen? Nominalism is dangerous. 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. It's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus was speaking in John chapter 8, in verses 31 and 32. He said, if you continue in my word, another translation says, if you abide in my word, then are ye my disciples. Indeed. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Listen, most of the problems in, my, in our marriages, the word of God solves them readily. Readily. There is nothing happening in our homes for which God does not have a prescription. Nothing. Nothing. In fact, Jesus said it again in John chapter 14, verse 23. He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. In other words, it's not saying your obedience is what gets you saved. No. But it's saying if you love me, 
Obedience will be automatic. Ah, you guys are looking at me funny. We're going to be here for a long time today. Let me put it down. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, emphasize, we are not saying obedience gets you saved, obedience gets you the blessings, no. But we're saying when you are in a relationship where you love someone, obedience is easy and automatic. Okay, okay, let me, let me, let me unpack that. Let me unpack that. So you're a father. You're taking your little girl or little boy to a park. And you know how kids are, they're excited. We're going to the park. So the, your kid is going in front of you, running towards the park. But before she gets to the park, she has to cross the road. So you see ahead that there's a car coming that she's not seeing. And you yell to her, honey, stop! Now, this little girl, having heard the father's voice, immediately comes to a full stop. With a bewildering look on her face, Daddy, why are you telling me to stop? This is the, I want to go get on the swing. But in that moment when you told her to stop, she stops, she comes to a full stop, not knowing the danger that you've seen. Why did she obey you? Why did she stop? Why did she not just presume that, ah, this man, I bet, let me go to the park and just run. Why does she not keep on running? She stopped because, number one, she recognized the voice that spoke. Number two, there was a relationship of trust. That when I hear this voice, I know that this voice is for my good. I trust the voice I just heard. Therefore, whether I understand why I should stop or not, because this voice is a trusted voice, I will stop and find out later. So Jesus is saying to you and I, when you are in a relationship with me, when you love me, because I have loved you first, because of that relationship of loving trust, obeying will be easy, just like the child obeys the father, not knowing what the situation is. So if we are not obeying God, it's a trust issue. I don't know why I'm going in this direction this morning. Listen. We, we, we talk about Adam and Eve falling in the garden. And the easiest explanation is that Adam disobeyed God. God said, don't eat of the tree. And he ate, he disobeyed God, he fell. That is correct but incomplete. It's incomplete. What we are focusing on is the manifestation of something deeper. Why did God tell him not to eat of the tree? Because God wanted Adam to be proven and confirmed in his relationship with himself. And unfortunately for Adam, like it is for us now, he had many questions. He had many questions. So God, you have all these trees here. You say, I can eat of all these trees, but except one. And he's looking at the trees. There's no real differences. Trees and trees and trees and trees. What's the difference? So, so okay, God, why are you going to tell me to eat of everything but just this one? What's so different about, from this to that, to that one? And then, of course, God says, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. For Adam, death is a new phenomenon. Nobody has ever died. So he's asking himself, death, what does that mean? 
What can he be talking about? What can he mean with all of these things? I'm saying that because you need to understand where Adam is because you and I are there now. The Bible says the secret things belong unto the Lord. There are things happening to us right now we don't understand. And we're asking questions just like as Adam asked in the garden. So all God was trying to teach Adam, Adam, you may have left some things in this garden that you will not understand. Just trust me. So for Adam and God, it was a trust issue. And the moment Adam decided to partake of the tree of which God said not to partake, he just told God, I don't trust you any longer. So what I'm saying to you is, trust is what brings forth obedience, and distrust is what brings forth disobedience. Man, I don't know how I got into all of that. What was I saying? Nominalism. 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 Amen? The second issue about being nominal is because sometimes this nominalism comes to us as a result of our culture or custom. For instance, I grew up if you asked me back in those days as a young boy, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And if you ask me, why are you a Christian? Well, we go to the Methodist church. That's, we are a member of the Methodist church. Simple. In my home growing up, every day, every blessed day, as far as I can remember, my father had the belly rang in the morning. Bang, 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 bang. He woke up in the whole house. And everybody converts to the living room. We sang two songs. He read a psalm. We prayed. So from that, I take that to say, I'm a Christian. Because it's a custom and a culture that we've been by for a long time. Not knowing that does not make you jack. If you ask my father at that time, he'll tell you he's a Christian. But I know now, later on, years later, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. Apart from the form of godliness, whereof we deny the power thereof. In nations like Costa Rica, Norway, Denmark, England, they have official churches. And every English man or woman that's born, if you are English, you become a part of the official church. The church of what? England. Does that make you a Christian? But these are all the things that feed into nominalism. The culture, the customs. I was counseling with a young man that was getting married a couple of months ago. And because they came from a different country where Islam is prominent, I asked him, I said, so how did you and your family become Christians in this predominantly Muslim nation? Ah, and he gave me the history and went on and on and on. I said, okay. As he gave me the history, I became alarmed. So I asked him a pointed question. I said, so are you a Christian by conversion or by birth? And he said to me, I'm a Christian by birth. Ah, I scratched my head. I said, okay. Do you, did you cut the difference? No one can be a Christian by birth. You can only be a Christian by conversion. So for him, he's bought into nominalism because by culture and customs, 
is embrace something, it thinks it's something that is really not. Ignorance, nominalism. Jesus addressed nominalism in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Let's go there. Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That's how I addressed it. So I pray that none of us in this house, in this sanctuary, or perhaps listening on through the television, will continue to be a nominal believer. It is very dangerous. In fact, it is fraudulent. And I'm saying that relating to marriage, because many of us come into relationships, into marriages, and we're expecting paradise. We're expecting wonderful, thriving relationships. And we totally forget that the initiator of marriage, the originator of marriage is God. And that we are going to need God if we are going to have successful marriages. Amen? Now, the statistics is not on our side when it comes to marriages. Right now, we are being told that 50% of marriages Believers and unbelievers are like, we fail. That is not good. That is not good at all. Now, we can change that. And you and I don't have to be part of that statistics. Amen. That's our expectation, that we will not be part of that statistics. But for that not to be so, we must take action. You have to invest in your relationship. You have to invest in your marriages. It's not automatic. What would happen if you went to the doctor and you were going to have, have, to have surgery done and the doctor said, you know what? Chances of you living after this surgery is 50%. But I'd be glad to take this couple and cut you up on any, anyway. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you not do something about that? If the doctor tells you going in, your chances of survival is only 50%. Are you still going to see that doctor? Or you get an aircraft and a pilot comes down and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the fl this flight Titanic 001. <laughs> <laughs> on a flight to Antarctica or somewhere like that. I just want to let you, let, let you know that the chances of you arriving safely is only 50%. <laughs> Man, you're going, to be go to, you're going to be looking for that door as quickly as you can. The point I'm making is this. We already know that the statistics is not in our favor. Therefore, the onus, the burden is upon us to do everything we know to do, to employ all the help and resources that God has given us to make sure that we have a thriving relationship. And this is what I say to people. You must understand that what's facing me and you is not just for us, for our generation. I think that's a very important point that we need to make. In other words, what happens to myself and my wife does not just affect us, but the enemy's intent is that through whatever it does to us, it affects our children and their children's children and perpetrate the wickedness and the evil and bitterness and hatred for generations to come. Yeah. That's his goal. He's not looking to just get one. 
is looking to get multiple. For that reason alone, you must understand you're not just fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for your posterities. In Jesus' name. Now, that being said, let me just, we're gonna, I'm going I'm to give us five things, five commitments that I believe that if we employ and we stay true to, five commitments only, five. I'm not going to do all five this morning because I want to dialogue. So I'm going to do maybe two this morning. But five commitments that if we embrace, we can, we will have a very thriving, fulfilling, satisfying, God-honoring relationships in Jesus' name. Amen? My goodness, you guys, what happened to you guys? Ooh, if I'm looking at your faces, I, I, I want to run away from here. <laughs> you, you, you guys are looking at me very hard. Number one, number one, five commitments. Number one, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. Number one is seek God. Seek God. And I'm going to tell you this. Most couples are least inclined to want to hear this. They are least inclined to want to hear this. Because they say, okay, listen, oh, oh, uh, Pastor, okay, okay, be, be done with it. Talk about the sex issue. Tell, tell, tell me, tell me, tell me, how can I have a better sex life? Oh, okay, Pastor, okay, okay. The conflict, how do we resolve this conflict? They just want to jump to, the, to what they think the real issue that's biting them. Have you ever wondered why when you go to the doctor's office and you say you have a pain in your shoulder, your pain in your chest, he just doesn't write a prescription and say, okay, go and take a high blood pressure medicine. He asks you all kinds of exploratory questions. Wants to know your background, your father, how old did they live? Your I mean, can you imagine that? You are, I am seeing the doctor, wants to know how old is my father. How old was a mother? Is there any history of disease in your family? They're asking all these questions. Why are they asking? Yeah. They want to eliminate certain things so they know exactly what they're dealing with. So I'm saying to us, the beginning point in wanting to have a thriving relationship is seek God. To fair proof your marriage, seeking God has to become a priority. And I know for those of us that are nominal, already you have t you're tuned off. You're tuned off already. Which is a sad thing. And that's why, unfortunately, if we don't get this right, you're going to keep on going to counseling. Because you refuse to, you refuse to accept counsel. You cannot tune God out of your relationship and expect a God-blessed relationship. It's not possible. It's not possible. Seeking God has to become a priority. This is the most important foundational principle that will make any relationship last. Now, the challenge for those of us that are single, that's desiring a spouse, is that sometimes we focus on finding someone that will make us happy, Make us feel good, Prince Charming, and on and on and on and on. 
And thinking finally, oh man, I found it. I found her. I found him. Man, I'm telling you, I found her. Oh, you need to see her. Man, you need to see him. My goodness, I'm t- I found him. I found the one. We say those things because that's what the t- culture has taught us. Cinderella movies and Hollywood and all that stuff. That's what the culture has taught us. But I'm saying to you this morning, God is your only one. And his past you are seeking, or this past you have now is two. It's number two. When Jesus was asked about the most important commandment, notice what he said. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your strength, and your body. But notice what he did not say. He did not say you should love your spouse with all of your heart, all of your strength, and all of your soul. I don't think you heard me. He never said you should love your spouse like that. Because he knows it's not possible. So if I'm single, I'm going to be saying, I'm seeking the one while preparing for my two. Let me say that again. If I'm single, I'm going to say, I'm seeking the one, that one referring to God, while I'm preparing for my two. My two is my spouse. It changes everything. It changes everything. If you want a godly marriage tomorrow, you need to live a godly life today. <laughs> you, 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 you guys are looking very wonderful. <laughs> if you want a godly marriage tomorrow, you have to live godly today. Become the kind of person you want to marry to the singles. Don't be waiting for a man or a woman to, to complete you and say, wow, find, I found him, I found her. No, you today, every day that you're living now, Begin to become the kind of person you would like to marry. Remember? 100 to 0. 100. 100. So that 100 onus is on you, not on the other person. And to us that are married, we should take from this exhortation this morning the mindset that we will always seek the one with my two. I'm going to seek the one with my two. And she will say the same thing that she will always, always seek the one with her too. God is number one. Is the foundation. And there's a reason for that, which I'm going to share with you in a minute. Our marriages will never get to be what God intended for it to be unless God is number one and your spouse is number two. Huge. So we often get it mixed up where we make our spouse number one. And we say things like, oh man, you need to meet my wife. She's just everything I've ever jumped up. I mean, she's incredible. She's good looking. She's this, she's that. Great housekeeper, great cook. I mean, she's a great lover and on and on. The adjectives we just say, man, she's everything. And the woman will say something similar. Man, you need to wait until you meet my husband. Generous, calm, gentle, a great gentleman. Ah, he can't hurt a fly. 
great provider. The adjectives, they, they are unending. We just on and on and on. And I know we mean well. And those things are not terrible. But I wish you hear yourself. Because when you start speaking like that, what happens is you've made them number one. And once you make them one, what that really means is they've displaced God on your pedestal. And so, what you are saying is, I'm idolizing this individual. You make them what? Idols. Watch this. Because the same lady that idolized the husband, and talk about how the guy is so gentle. Ah, man, I wish you'd meet my husband. He's a gentleman, complete gentleman. He'll open the door for me. In fact, he'll make me tea and bring it to the bed. He's Prince Charming, very soft-spoken. You can never annoy him. He's just, man, I'm telling you, I'm so blessed. It's number one. I, I, it, it, in fact, if, it's, if there's something less than one, it's number one. <laughs> so you've idolized the man. And, in, and, and, and what's happened is you've placed pressure on this man to be something he could never be. Yeah. You've placed an expectation on him that God himself did not put on him. And so when he does not meet that expectation, he falls from being an idol to a demon. <laughs> You've idolized him now, so you demonize him. That guy, if you see the way, he's so nasty. He just yells all the time. His attitude is nasty. He's just crazy. Yell, yell, yell all the time. Like a commander, like an army in the house. This man is a tyrant. The same person you said is gentle and self-spoken. When it was your idol, now that is your demon, is is the exact opposite. That quickly you go from idolizing to demonizing. That quickly, and it's it's, it's both ways. We've got to get this right. We have to seek God. You cannot place your children as number one. It's the same thing. You place those children as number one, you idolize them. They will fail you. In fact, you are setting them up for failure when you do that. Secondly, you cannot place your career as number one. Walk, walk, walk to work, I go. Walk, walk, walk to work, I go. It becomes a song. It becomes a song. Walk, walk, walk to work, I go. Walk, walk, walk to work, I go. Honey, what, when I'm going to get together, I have to go to work. Honey, when I'm going to, I've got to go to work. Everything is work. And then you get bad news on that job. You're laid off, you're retrenched. You fall, like a Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> because what? You idolize your career or your profession or even your hobby. Your hobby. God has to take that place. That's the only one that's should be in that position of number one. Amen? Now, let's move on. How do we make this work? How do we seek the one with my two? Very simple. Pray together every day. Pray together every day. Let me break that down before anybody gets into legalism. Pray together every day. Now, 
you, you have to start small here, especially if, if you've never had this, if you've not developed this culture, this habit. You have to start small. Start small. Don't, don't go home and bring a law. Say, honey, did you hear a pastor in church this morning? Effective immediately. <laughs> 6 30 every morning. <laughs> you, you get up. Well, yes, you get my father's bell. <laughs> Please don't do that. Start small. And if, 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 you, if, if you listen to what I'm saying to you, start small. Uh, as you start small, it becomes a part of you and it becomes easier and it'll be natural. How do you start small? Agree to pray together about common things that you guys see on a daily basis. For instance, let me just give a, a, a good practical example. What just happened in Parkland? Every parent's heart should be broken. That 17 innocent folk that went to school are now dead. It should be an easy thing to say, honey, let's just pray for these families. This is what I'm saying? I'm not asking you to pray for your marriage. Not, not, not at the beginning stage. Start with something that's easy. Honey, let's just, let's just pray for those families whose hearts are broken. Join hands to your, with your spouse. Pray. Two minutes, five minutes, whatever. Pray. Low-hanging fruit. And by the way, let me just say this. When my kids were younger, when they were going to high school, a day never passed on their way to school that we didn't pray for them. They knew they could not leave the house until they came to my bedroom and got prayer. True story. They are, they are here. True story. Don't take those things for granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted at all. Every day, even if I'm asleep, if I'm in the bed, they knew they would not go to that bus stop to catch that bus until they first come through. My bedroom was the, was the transit point. Right there in the bed. I don't have to get up and get dressed and say, okay, we're going to No. You are a spirit. Hold their hands and release the prayer of God, the blessing of God over them as they go to the war. Listen, going to this, today going to school is war. I hope you know that already. You are sending them to Afghanistan by way of Georgia. Don't ever presume that. As a parent, that's our job. That's, that's what stewardship is all about. Agreeing with God that today my child will go and come back and be the light and the glory that God wants them to be in that school. Every single day we did that. So I'm, I'm encouraging you parents. Now, I know some of our parents, you may have to leave before your kids have to go to school because of your schedule. Okay, I understand that. Go to their room and pray for them before you leave. Listen, they don't even have to be awake. You are a spirit. Release the blessings of God over them. And then you go and do whatever you have to do. But please, okay? So you can pray together over things that's common that you guys agree upon. And then secondly, another way to do it is, you guys agree and say, oh, honey, you know what? Uh, we have a trip coming up. Let's just touch God agree that God will use us as we go. You don't have to be there to join your hands to do that. But you agree that during the day, both of you will be praying about the same thing. Do you see what I'm saying? So you live in the house. You've communicated to your wife, to your spouse, 
that there are two, three things you want us to agree on today. Pray for the trip. Pray for the children. Pray for the, whatever the things are. Okay? So you guys can't come together physically to do so, but where she, maybe if when she's cutting her grass and I'm doing whatever I'm doing, we'll... <laughs> Okay, shall I say when she's shopping? When she <laughs> <laughs> Just the fact that we've both agreed to commune on something godly together. And at the end of the day, we come back together and say, oh, did God say anything to you? It becomes a talking point. Because you already established that foundation. Amen. And then as you get more proficient in that, it may be at bed at night before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning, you pray together. It becomes more natural, more pleasant. You're looking forward to it because of all the good things God has done because of the little prayers that's gone forth. Does that make any sense? So number one thing that you can do that you can commit to to start doing is seeking God. Seeking God. Number two, and this is the one I'm going to, this is where I'm going to rest today. Number two, commitment we can make. Fighting fear. Fighting fear. Fighting not for victory, but fighting for resolution. Good couples fight clean. And growing couples fight dirty. Now, I could have used another one for that growing. I could have said something else other than growing couple. But I don't, want to, I don't want to make a bad declaration over anybody in Jesus' name. So there are no bad couples in this house. There are only growing couples. Amen? <laughs> so good couples fight clean and growing couples fight dirty. How do we do that? How do we fight fear? Number one, listen carefully. I'm not asking you to listen. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's number one. Number one in fighting clean, you listen. Listen to what your spouse is saying. Listen. How do you listen? You repeat back what you believe is being said just to make sure you got what is being said. You repeat back what you believe is being said so you make sure or you are certain that you really understand what is being said. Now, why is that important? If I'm able to repeat back what she said to me and repeat it accurately, it sends two messages. Number one, it makes your spouse feel that they were heard. And number two, it confirms to them that you understood whatever it is they are saying to you. Being heard I'm being understood. There is nothing more frustrating when you're speaking to someone and they're nodding, they're saying yes, 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 and they didn't hear one thing you said. <laughs> when I'm dealing with certain people from certain nations, that is the story of my life. There's a guy that drives my wife and I when we go to this particular place, and this guy does not know anything about speed limit. He sees a gas pedal in the car, and as far as he's concerned, just press the thing all the way to the floor. Just floor it. And this guy will be flying on the highway. I said, I said to him, man, please slow it down, slow it down. He said, yeah, daddy, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, daddy. 
And, and he, has a, he has a system to it. Once I say that to him, he cracks his knuckles. Five times, he cracked them. <laughs> and he will slow down just for about, maybe, what? 20 seconds. <laughs> so for a guy like that, I'm, I'm not sure that he was listening. He heard what I said. <laughs> but he does not quite understand the concern I was trying to express to him. Amen? So the first thing we need to know in fighting fear is we have to listen. And listening means repeat back what you thought has been said to you to make sure you heard it accurately and you understand what they are trying to get across to you. Number two. Uh, actually, we can have the scripture on the, on, the, on the screen. James 1 verse 19. James 1 19. As they're getting that scripture, number two, God your words faithfully. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear. I think NIV said to listen. To listen. Be swift to listen. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. Amen? So number two thing is here, God our words faithfully. Now this is not always easy to do. This is where you need the help of the Holy Spirit. God your words faithfully. Okay, Proverbs 21, 23. Give it to me in the NLT. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. And what? You will stay out of trouble. Oh my God. Banker Kamala, did you see that? Take that for yourself in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's huge. Guard your mouth. Listen. You, you need to recognize your opinion or your commentary is not always needed at the time you're trying to give it. Don't turn every discussion into a war. Some things are just even best not to respond to. Let it go. But if you have to speak, ask yourself these questions, two questions. Two questions about guarding your words. Two questions. Number one, should it be said? In other words, your response or what you're trying to say, should it be said? And number two, should it be said now? If you ask yourself these two questions when you are fighting or having a hard controversy, or heart debate, <laughs> intense fellowship. <laughs> if you ask yourself these two questions, you save yourself from a lot of trouble. Should I say this now? Or should I even say it? Amen? Now, how do we fight faithfully? How do we fight well, where we don't try to get a victory, but we try to get a resolution? I'm going to give you something that's going to help us. Because you are saying to me, well, Pastor, there are some issues that we need to talk about. Uh, we just never get to talk about them. And that's what's bugging me. And that's what's causing the frustration. And so when I'm responding sometimes, I respond out of the frustration for those things that are not discussed. And the thing just goes on and blows over. Okay. Take this advice. Work on your marriage during non-conflict times when there is no tension. 
Work on your marriage during non-conflict times when there is no tension. Say, so, Pastor, what does that look like? What do you mean? Okay. Do what I call regular marriage checkups. You know, as human beings, all of us recognize when you reach a certain age, you have to have physicals very uh, regularly. You have to go to the doctor, and have a, not because anything is wrong with you, we just want to do a physical. And doing those physicals, if there are any things that are underlying that's hiding, it can be caught quickly and it can be addressed. We need to do something with our marriages. Do regular marriage checkups. This is what it goes like. The kids are gone to bed. Your, you and your spouse has a little time before you hit the sack, before you actually sleep. There's no tension. Uh, maybe, well, okay, <clears throat> I won't say that here, but anyway. So, <laughs> you're a pope. <laughs> pope should not be thinking like that. <laughs> we pray for room in Jesus' name. <laughs> so, 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 you go like this. You ask your spouse, what are three things that I do that bless you? What are three things that I do that bless you? Now, spouse, even if you can't find anything, just find something to say. <laughs> if this is going to work, you're going you, you're going you're gonna to need to get creative, okay? <laughs> no, really, for my wife, I, I mean, three things I can find them readily. That, that, would, that would be no problem. And hopefully for you as well, you will be fine. Three, three things. Just three things. Three simple things. And it could be anything. Three things. And then, so once you ask your spouse and she tells you, and then she asks you the same question. And then, and, then, and then you get the answer. The reason this is important, the reason you go like this, if you read the book of Revelation, Jesus had very serious things to tell those churches. All six of them, I mean, all, well, six out of seven of them, he had serious issues with. But notice the approach he took. The very first thing he said to them was a commendation. No, he was coming back to spank them. But in order to get the spanking down real good, he was commending them. So, honey, what three things do I do that bless you? Encourage me first. <laughs> Commend me first. And that is consistent with the grace of God. Grace, first, grace always lifts you up. Three things. Then, as a result of that, there's momentum for love. There's a momentum for pleasure because we said three complementing things to one another. Are you following me? Now you now follow that up. Honey, what three things can I do to be a better, bigger blessing? Notice the way, notice the way I, I, I worded it. Do you hear wisdom in that? What three things are you messing up in? 
Some of you, I'm hearing you now. Some of you, I don't want to call your names. I I'm hearing you now. God has already forgiven you. I I'm hearing you. You almost take a gun. What? What? Three things. You almost fit. No, don't threaten anybody. In a nice way. What three things could I do to be a better, bigger blessing? Did you hear that? And then you wait. And then they'll tell you. And then you get a chance to do the same. Remember, you are saying this in a non-tension environment. You are not trying to reflect or uh, resolve any, under any conflict that's on the ground. These are just things that you've noticed, that you've kept, because you know you're going to have a regular checkup. And when a checkup time comes, this is the time to talk about these things in an open, loving way. Amen? So, the more checkups you have, the less conflicts you're going to have in your marriages. Because most conflicts are as a result of no communication over a period of time. And if frustration is building up, building up, building up, and then we explode. So schedule the checkups. Make sure it's regular. Amen? You know what you need. Some of us may be once a week, others could be once a month, others could be twice a year. I don't know. I don't know. There's no formula here. I'm just telling you what I believe I know works. Amen? Now, whenever you guys are talking, there are certain decisions you need to make ahead of time. You both agree on. Decide ahead of time on rules of engagement in your relationship. Like, never call names. When I say names, I'm not talking about their name, share on a bank, no. The names that's not on their birth certificate. <laughs> Idiot, stupid, fool. Do you understand? Don't call anybody. Once you start using those terms, you are in escalation territory. Never call names. Secondly, you must agree we will not raise our voice. We will not raise our voice. There's no need for that. You are talking to me. I can hear you. you there's, don't raise your voice. Number three, do not get historical. This is not a history class or lesson. Please don't let's go back to 1967. It's too far away, I cannot remember. Amen? Number four, never say never or always. That always almost escalates the situation. When you are saying something that you know is outright falsehood, by saying you are always late. And usually what happens is, the day before you said it, they were, that one time they were, they were punctual. <laughs> so they've been late 99 times out of 100, but you say you are always late. You see? You see? You're a liar. I, I, was, I was on time yesterday. <laughs> so avoid doing that. Next, never introduce the D word in your conversation. Divorce. Never threaten divorce. And last, I know the list in this section, never quote your pastor. Yeah. 
<laughs> you were supposed to say that. You were supposed to say that. I'm talking from experience. Especially when the wife quotes the pastor. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you guys, it, it makes the man madder than a scorpion. <laughs> pastor Bank said this. Yeah, are you married to Pastor Bank? That's a no-go territory. Quote God if you have to quote anybody. Okay? So number one, you listen carefully. Number two, you guide your words faithfully. And lastly, you handle anger righteously. You handle anger righteously. What are the signs that you're not fighting fair? The signs are very obvious. Number one, you're criticizing, not complaining. There's a difference between criticizing and complaining. Okay? Criticizing, I can say, that Pastor Charles, I'm telling you, it, it, it just cannot be on time. You can never take whatever it says. It's, it's, no, it's, it's what's no good. That's criticizing. Complaining, using the same point, I can say, Pastor Charles, I notice you, you're late. You're late all the time. See, one, I, I, I attack him directly, criticizing. The other one, I bring the issues to the table. Anytime you make a person the issue, you are criticizing, you are not complaining. Very important. And then, of course, from criticizing, you go to contempt. Contempt is when you get disgusted. And the disgust is shown in your gesticulation, your tone of voice, your eye rolling. Her eye rolling, you know that? You know about that? <laughs> And then number three, defensiveness. Simply meaning you're not accepting responsibility, you're not acknowledging that you are wrong, you are defensive. You are in Johnny Cochrane mode. <laughs> and lastly, stonewalling. That's when you shut down. Just shut down. You had an, you had a deep, you had an intense fellowship and you don't like the outcome of it to your tent, O Israel. So you go to this corner and she goes to that corner. And uh, you are in World War III at home for the next three or four days. That is not God. We need to handle anger righteously. So for today, I'm going to stop there. We've covered two points that I'm convinced if we commit to, we'll have a very thriving relationship that is seeking God and fighting fair. Remember, we are fighting not for victory. You're already victorious. You are fighting for resolution. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Okay. Now we are getting to that next phase of the conversation. And if my wife would just join me here. And the couple, is there any couple here that wants to, that says, you know what? We want to step up to the plate and talk about what's going on in our relationship so everybody can be helped. Yeah. Yes. So, any couple, any takers? No takers? Uh-uh. Are you telling me? Okay, I'll be Kang Bero, come. I'll be Kang. Come, come, come. Here. 
Come, 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 come. Thank you for volunteering. Come on, tell us about Santorini. Amen. That's why I sit next to me. You, 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 you. <laughs> All right, Miss P. Praise God. You're most welcome. Let's give, give her mics. Let's, let's get mics available. Okay, so now, open dialogue now. And for those of you online, again, if you have any questions or comments, you're free and welcome to send them through uh, online and uh, we'll read them out. Uh, I already have some questions that came in that were dropped in the box. But we'll. Let me just see what is going to happen here first, and then we're going to take it from there. Any questions or comments? Thank you, Mr. Sambonu. The man in black, I love it. <laughs> Amen. Miss P. Media, we need some assistance. Good morning, church. Okay, thank you, Brother Sam. Um, let me use this time to talk on behalf of 90% of men in America. I will not limit this question to only men in the church. So you have to widen your scope of understanding. Um, sir, is there any difference between the marriage in America and the one we have back in? Africa. <laughs> One question. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's what Santorini to answer. I'm saying this because there is one particular question. I mean, a point you raised there about calling of names and order that really interests me. In my community where I come from, I have a man that calls his wife out of what he must have passed through. Woman talk nonsense. And this woman will humbly accept, say, Daddy, what do you want? Okay, let, let me make sure I understand your question so far. So, in, in the community where you come from, there is a man that calls his wife a particular name based on what he has passed through. What he has passed through, and his experience with sure. most women and his wife. And the name is Woman Talk Nonsense. Woman Talk Nonsense. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure I understand. Okay. Yeah. It does not come to play, and this woman is not angry. This woman is serving her husband very, very well without any bias. As to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> but in the Western world, I know that 
at least 50% of our men are regretting bringing their wives into this place. That is, it involves everything. Opening doors, cooking, doing the cleaning in the, at home. Was whatever, whatever, we know what we passed through at home there. <laughs> and then our marriages are just at the point of, you know, divorce if care is not taken at every point in time. If you don't talk about finance, if you don't even straighten up your finances, if you don't address so many things. And in most cases, all the points that was raised here, seeking God first and all those things, at a point, if you are not careful, when the crisis comes, it will just jump through the window if you don't handle it carefully. So, what advice do you have for men here that can also, you know, be transferred to where we come from? Okay, thank you very much for your contribution. <laughs> Brother Sam is a very serious man and I appreciate, no, seriously, I, I really do appreciate him. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a forerunner, really, and it's just, I just thank God for him. So the question basically is, is there any difference or distinction between marriages uh, in Africa and marriages here? And the specific, specific reference to name-calling, uh, a particular man calls his wife, woman, no, no, woman talk nonsense, woman talk nonsense, and the woman accepts it, and, you know, let me just address that back and forth. If he calls his wife, woman talk nonsense, and a wife does not complain, enjoys that, if that's what she enjoys, I'm not gonna say go and break the mold and do something else. Now, I don't agree with that. I will not call my wife, talk, woman talk no nonsense. Woman talk nonsense. But if their understanding uh, embraces that, the more the merrier. But to answer the crux of a question, I want you to know that the scriptures, the Bible, transcends culture. Amen. It does. Jesus said in his scriptures that it is our traditions that make the word of God of no effect. So if I want to enjoy and participate in something that God gave, then the priority not only has to be the word of God, but the culture of God's word. Now, there are a lot of things about the cultures that are good. I want to make sure I, I put that there. There are a lot of things about whether it's African culture, Caribbean culture, American culture, uh, English culture. There are redeemable issues and points in every culture because God created all cultures to begin with anyway. It is only where the culture comes in direct contradiction with the word of God that you must depart from that. At that point, you need to ask yourself the question. Am I going to be a traditional man where I honor the tradition of my native birth above God who creates even your native? That's the issue. And so if you run into problems because you are honoring so-called tradition, then you must allow tradition to fix it. You can't come to God. You'll be you're a hypocrite to be praying God fix it and then you go back to tradition. It's not going to work. 
So I encourage everybody, and that's why I was talking about nominalism at the beginning. That's the issue. That's the issue. We want to be Christians, but we don't want to be changed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you not, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable worship, and be not conformed to this world, to this tradition, to this culture, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds through the scriptures. So, as a believer, I cannot live as a nominal person and want to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. So, I must be transformed. And so, my role and your role, Brother Sam, because I know we encounter people every day that's dealing with tradition versus kingdom, tradition versus kingdom, our role is to be the light. And we are light not because we go to their house and tear down their doors. Say, ah, oh, let me tell you. No. When they see the way you and your wife is getting along, when they see the way you and your wife are getting blessed, when they see the tranquility, the peace, the harmony, when they see your children prospering, when they see that you touch things and it turns to gold, they will be forced to ask you, how are you doing it? And then you can tell them, I've graduated from just being traditional to being kingdom cultural or kingdom transformation. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this transformation of the mind through the word of God is the, is the issue. We have it, all of us. I mean, the kingdom of God transcends. Anybody, you guys have anything to say to that anymore? Anything you want to add? Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Do you mind? Let, let me take this. Secretary of State, I know that. I know who's for us and who's... <laughs> I know that. Okay. Um, so earlier you were saying that marriage is a covenant as opposed to a contract. Yes. Meaning that marriage is 100 and zero. Correct. Um, obviously, as an unmarried person, um, common sense and the culture I was raised in would advise me to marry someone who would add to me. Who would add to you? Who yes. would add to me? Yes. So how do you reconcile this idea of 100 to zero, but I'm still looking for someone that adds to me? First of all, first of all, what, what I've said is, not, is very consistent. Because if the person you're marrying also comes to the table with 100 to zero, you've, you've, you've received an addition automatically. Right away. The idea here is you understand that all the needs that you and I have, the need for love, the need for security, the need for significance, no man can give it to you. They will try, and they should try. But every man that will ever try to give you love, security, and significance will fail. They fall short. So the issue here is you first have that need met and secured in and through God. So when the man that you're married to comes to the table, with anything that adds more to that love, more to that significance, more to that security, that's an added bonus. But you're not gasping for breath. Oh my God, my husband, I hope he comes home tonight. Hey, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's gone to the club. Maybe, no. Because you are 100, and you, you by 100 to zero, you, you've resigned to say, God, I'm trusting you in this matter of marriage. And you are the one that's going to give me the right man, the right person, that's going to be my 
soulmate as we walk through life to fulfill a vision. So it's not, this, it's not that it removes the idea that the person adds to you. Yes, you will add to them, and hopefully they add to you as well. But the point is to just prepare our minds. Because what causes a lot of fracture and uh, discontent in marriages is because all of us are looking for people to meet our needs. We have expectations. And when those expectations are not met, we are disappointed. We are disillusioned. And we get into depression, basically. But once you understand that this person, at best, they will fail. At best, they will come short. Once you understand that, it's easy. That's what the idea of forgiveness comes, comes to play. Forgive. You do it in advance. So in marriage, you're going in knowing in advance that no man or woman would totally, completely fit the bill. But you are trusting God that you are going to bring everything God gives you to the table and they are going to bring everything God gives them to the table so their hundred and your hundred becomes whole. Okay. That's the idea. Got it. Praise God. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Salvation Manadan. Yes, sir. Uh, how do you get out? You said we should handle situations when there is um, no conflict. Mm -hmm. But how do you, what if you're in a marriage where because of previous name calling, anger building, it's gone on for a few years. How do you have that um, conversation? doing that checkup because it, it may be hard to do the checkup because it's already so much built up on both sides. Correct. The D word has been given, all the things are already on there. How do you get to start? You're almost trying to start from scratch yes. without really being scratched because Correct. both people are already hurt. Correct. Correct. That's a very good question. My advice there is to go number one, seeking God. And the key point in seeking God is praying together. So, because there's been so much deep seated hurt. We will say, let's just pray together. Start with something simple. And because both of you have come to a point, you've come to terms to know that we are going to go back to foundation. We are starting all over. We're starting fresh. You have, to, you have to give yourself some time. So that means you're not going to have all that deep conversation tonight. That means you're going to pace yourself and just allow, you, you already, what's the word? You already agree that we're going to, we're going to start from scratch. Okay? So that enough, it lets some tension out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we, we're going to start, we're going to take baby steps. Okay, you want to add something? Yeah. I would suggest that, <clears throat> excuse me, one person has to stand up and be big, take the big step. If there's been tension in the marriage for some time, and we're not getting anywhere, we're just continually hurting one another, someone has to definitely stand up and say, enough, it's enough, I'm tired. Tied in the sense that I don't want to fight anymore. But I believe we don't get to that point until, like Pastor Banks said, that number one, we, once you begin to seek God and you allow God to come into you and begin to deal with you to help bring healing to you, then you're able to step out and go to that individual that's been hurting you and say, look, I'm sorry. Even if you take all the blame that it's been your fault or whatever, look, 
It's not about who's wrong, who's right. I am sorry. I think that's those words that I'm sorry carry so much power, so much healing. It just stops the devil in his place. In his track. In his tracks. Because it takes a big person to say, I'm sorry, and really mean it. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if I called you names. I'm sorry that I didn't listen. I am really sorry. So I would like to get a, a brand new, fresh start. Let's, let's start afresh. And with the, I'm sorry, I love you. And I want this thing to work. Amen. Words are so important. Those same evil words that you were planning all those years, those bitter words, those words that you were fighting and wounding and hurting one another. Yep. You can stop that. Amen. Begin to speak things as though they are. Those things that you want to be. Those things that you want your spouse to be. Begin to give them compliments. Begin, begin to see the better thing in that person and not all the ugly things. Because when God made us, he's, he made us and he made us good. If God said I'm good, then I'm good. So I have to begin to see the good in myself, see the good in others, and start seeing through the eyes of God. This is God's daughter. This is God's son. God created them, so I must see the good in them. Amen. I think that will help. Amen. Absolutely. <clears throat> so so to salvation, to add to what she said there, so in a very practical husband and wife now, deeply hurt, uh, reconciliation, I'm sorry, I love you, and then let them know that you didn't forget the issues on the ground. I'm sorry about what's happened. I love you very deeply. I'm willing and ready to walk through this. Give me time, and we're going to get together and begin to talk about these issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so that we don't leave it out as we just gloss over it. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm committed to this relationship. I'm telling you, we're going to sit down and begin to walk through, through things. Yeah, it's, I'm having this conversation with a friend. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to, I was trying to make sure there's nothing I'm missing. I keep repeating the same thing over. So, so I was trying to make sure, but this last, those four suggestions you gave, I need to add it to okay. the conversation. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> marriage is, from what I see, is a state by state of life. Um, for me, I learn from my mistakes. Uh, knowing my wife for 42 years in friendship, I grew day by day. But where's the issue of extended family that caused a lot of divorce in marriages? And if we don't handle it very well, majority of marriages come through divorce through the influence of parents, sisters, and I've seen so many people that have divorced, and then I've seen parents who try to influence into their children's marriages. Correct. And we, 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 
it's like we're plugging ourselves into it. And naturally, it's just what we do. Even yeah. before their marriage. Yes. Whereas, like, we put them in a cocoon. 